Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? In prayer this morning, when I was walking around and praying and um, praying for Taylor and praying for Chris and whatever, I just prayed that there would be a thousand angels in here when we had praise and worship. And I just, I just heard so many more voices than there were in here that we were singing. And uh, I'm just giving God the glory for that. Just, Amen. You know, it's just so wonderful to be able to lift him up and worship. And we're really blessed to be able to do that. Amen. Amen. I loved how we were singing about how great and awesome our God is. Beautiful. Anyone else? Today, just in through worship, it's just a... I just, I don't know, I, I, maybe even before worship, even working through, you know, waking up this morning, there's just a sense of just gratitude, you know, that God is good, that he gives us life and just fills us and provides the things that we need in our lives when we need it. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like, I know personally, I maybe don't give enough gratitude to God, but today just walking the, into church, into the sanctuary, worshiping everybody, just, there's a lot of gratitude that I think just needs to be shared to God. Amen. Thank you for bringing that up because, you know, that's what we talked about last week was the importance of gratitude. And then, you know, I know that uh, yesterday when the rain started coming through, there were a lot of prayers of thanks and praise to God. And uh, just in case anybody needs a reminder, rain is that miracle where drops of water come from heaven to the earth, you know. So, but yeah, we got so many prayers of thanks, you know, were going up yesterday. And it is, it's like, yeah. There's many, many opportunities to be grateful. Amen. All right. Uh, so let's turn to Psalm 119. Every week we read a section of Psalm 119 to declare the beauty of God's Torah and to align our hearts with it. Righteous you are, Adonai, and your judgments are upright. You have commanded righteousness, your testimonies, and great faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me, because my foes forgot your words. Your word is thoroughly refined, and your servant loves it. I am insignificant and despised, yet I have not forgotten your precepts. Your justice is righteousness forever, and your Torah is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your mitzvot are my delight. Your testimonies are forever, righteous forever. Make me understand so I may live. All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that your testimonies are true and your righteousness is forever. Lord, teach us your ways that we may live. We thank you for this time to come together to worship you. 
Lord, we ask that you would come this morning and have your way among us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us revelation of your love and your faithfulness. We give you praise and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, this week we have a double portion. It's Nitzavim and Vayelech. Okay, so we have a double portion because next week is Yom Teruah and Rosh Hashanah, which falls on Shabbat. So normally we would read Vayelech next week, but uh, we'll be reading a, a different portion next week for the holiday. So this week we get a double portion. And um, as I was thinking on what the key theme is for this morning's message, I feel like it's that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And within this, another aspect of, of this, uh, the demonstration of his faithfulness to us is the concept of exile and redemption. So we're going to talk some about exile and redemption and about this faithfulness God has to his children forever. So let's start in Deuteronomy 29. Verse 10, where our portion opens up, the scripture says, You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. All right, so that last verse should strike you a little strangely, right? Because he says that we're entering into this covenant with who is standing here today, but also with whoever is not standing here today. And there's a couple of elements and ways that we can understand this. One, the sages derive that every Jewish soul was present at Sinai at the time that the Ten Commandments were spoken and the covenant was entered into. And, and that all agreed to enter into the covenant. Now, Alternatively, another way of understanding this is that those who are standing here this day and who were about to pass into the covenant, it's not that a new covenant was being made, it's they were moving into a greater fulfillment of the covenant, right? Because God's covenant promise to Abraham was that he would have offspring that was abundant and he would give them the land. Now they had the, the children, the offspring that were abundant as the stars of heaven, but now they're getting ready to go in and take possession of the land, which is moving into a greater degree of the covenant. But he's saying that it's with all who's standing here today and whoever is not standing here today. Whoever was not standing there today, the sages say, we're already within those who were, who were standing. So for example, as a tree has branches that come out from it. All that potential for the branches to come out was within the tree itself. So too with the parent. The potential for all the future generations is comprised there within that parent 
and from that parent, the next generation comes forward, and so on and forth, so, so forth, like branches on a tree. And so the covenant was being made not just with that generation, but all of the generations that would proceed forth from those who are standing and getting ready to go into the promised land. Now, you may think, how is it that God can require that all the future generations would be, would be required to walk in this covenant? You know, when you could make the argument that they weren't standing there, right? I mean, we've talked about how the sages make a, the uh, implication that they were. But if you were to say, well, they weren't, um, and it's up to each of them in subsequent generations to make a decision of whether they will follow God. Um, God combats this with his faithfulness that he promises to the future generations. Okay, within the covenant, there are obligations and responsibilities between both parties, right? For God to be a God to the people, to give them the land, protection, provision, and for the people to serve God and to love him with all their heart, mind, and soul. And so he calls for us, not just in this generation, to live faithfully unto him, but to raise up subsequent generations who will walk in faithfulness to him. And I think we see some of this when we look further in this portion, Deuteronomy 31. And I debated talking, before we go into this, I debated talking about the permanence of covenants and how they pass from generation to generation without even necessity of an agreement between subsequent generations. And I'll just give you a little teaser. You can look into it. It's in 2 Samuel 21 the story of the Gibeonites, okay? The Gibeonites had tricked Joshua into making a covenant with them. They claimed that they were from far away, but they were really from Canaan. And so they entered into a covenant with them uh, with, because they didn't seek God's direction. And that covenant was honored in God's eyes for hundreds of years, not just one generation, even to the point when Saul began to turn against the Gibeonites, God brought down judgment upon the children of Israel. And so David sought to bring restitution and repentance. So um, even in a trick covenant, it was passed from, from generation to generation and had to be upheld in the eyes of God. So how much more when God makes a promise to Abraham and Abraham walks faithfully, will God uphold the covenant to bless generation to generation and expect them to walk in faithfulness to him. So here in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1, Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over, over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them, and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go 
with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So here within this, there's the encouragement that's being given to the children to pass over and to take on the giants that seem like they couldn't be taken down. But because God is going with them and because of the promises that he has made to the forefathers, he's going to bring about the fulfillment. And he says that he goes with you and he goes before you and he will not leave you or forsake you. So it's really his faithfulness that then puts us into a position of walking in faithfulness unto him. Now, last week, we talked about gratitude, yes, but we were also talking about the blessings and the curses on Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel, and we spoke of the blessings and admonitions of Deuteronomy 28. And in this week's portion, a double portion, we're still continuing to see themes of exile and redemption. And with exile and redemption, God is still with his people. Exile, God sends the children of Israel into exile so that he does not have to destroy them when they walk in unfaithfulness. And then from that place of exile, he moves to change their hearts, to draw them back to himself, to where he can restore them and bring them back to the fullness of the promise and the fullness of covenant relationship with him. And so, um, even in exile, God is with his children. And one of the things that God gives to the children of Israel to help them remember the covenant and their obligations to walk with him is found in the verses that, that follow what we just read, continuing in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 9. We'll read, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, which is Sukkot, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before Israel, before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, little ones, the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So every seven years, at the end of the sabbatical year, in the, in the Sukkot that followed the end of that sabbatical year, they would gather all the people of Israel, and the king would read from the book of Deuteronomy so that they could hear the Torah and understand what God expects of them and how they're to walk. You know, because they, they were in a day and age when they didn't have a Bible on every bookshelf, or the ability to have a Bible on every bookshelf, right? You learned, of course, in synagogue. You learned from your parents. You learned from other teachers of the Torah. And you learned through just walking out a life of faithfulness. But then you also had the opportunity to go and to hear the king himself read the Torah, right? And there's actually a great, a great witness in that. 
you know, the king is required to write two Torah scrolls. And, of course, one he can inherit from his father, but then he has to write his own so that he can have a Torah scroll with him that he can meditate on day and night, right? Because the king is subject to the Torah as well. And so he has to live a life of faithfulness to God. And then for him to come and to read the Torah before all the people is a further encouragement to them that everyone is accountable to the Torah, even the king himself. And so he would come and he would read this in their hearing of everyone, even, the, even those who were just strangers who dwelled among Israel would be encouraged to come and to hear the Torah so that they too could learn the ways of God and to have their hearts changed. Now, as we continue reading here in Deuteronomy 31, going into verse 14, we see a warning of falling away. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and pre present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a, in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Now as we read this, God's telling Moses that after he brings the children of Israel into the land and after Moses is dead and gone, the children of Israel will forget God. They will forsake him and they will turn to false gods. And when they do, he says that he will forsake them in that day and hide his face from them. Now, the question coming up in your mind should be, didn't you just read in the same chapter that he will never leave you nor forsake you? And now here he's saying that he will forsake them and hide his face. How does that work? And what does this look like and what's the purpose? I thought God was going to go with the children of Israel into exile and that he would bring them back. Well, the, and I, I, I don't think I can give you a fully, uh, an answer you'll probably be 100% satisfied with. But what I will say is from what we read in the Heftarah a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah, he says, for a brief moment, I deserted you. And this word for deserted is forsook you. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. And so within this, he's saying that he had a temporary turning away, a temporary leaving and a hiding of himself for the very purpose of bringing the children of Israel back to him. Okay. Because God's purpose in sending to exile and in hiding his face and 
actually allowing calamities to come upon the children of Israel is to turn their hearts back to him for the restoration to come. It's not so that he would be leaving them and abandoning them perpetually so that they would be lost, but no, he's doing it for a purpose. Now, with that in mind, we read here again, okay, so he says that many evils will come upon them in that day when he's hidden his face, and in that day they will say, have not these evils come upon us because God is not among us? And then he again reiterates, I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done, because they've turned to other gods. This is a per, another perplexing item because you say, well, here they are, he's hidden his face, and now they've come to the realization that all this evil that has come upon them is because God's not among them. So isn't that part of the repentance process? Why would God continue to hide his face? Well, the sages take this topic on as well, and the conclusion is that even though the recognition that the evils that have come upon them is because God's protection has been lifted, they are failing to go to the point of real understanding of why God's protection has lifted. Right? They're recognizing the problem. They're lamenting the problem, but that's not, not actually coming to the place of repentance. Right? Because the place of repentance would be going past the issue of God not being with them or God's hand being lifted from them to say, why did God lift his hand? Why is it that these evils have come upon us with God lifting his hand? And if they did that, they would come to find it's because they forsook God. It's because they turned to false gods who they did not know. And because of that, because of that, they took themselves out of God's shadow in the tabernacle and placed themselves in a tabernacle of false gods who could not protect them, who would not protect them. And so they weren't going all the way to the place of true repentance the true repentance that would bring about the restoration. And so God continued to hide his face so that they would be brought to the point where they knew they had turned to false gods and could repent of that and then have the full restoration come. The Rambam says there are four steps of repentance. There's to recognize the sin and stop it. There's to regret the sin and its consequences to confess it, and then finally to not repeat it, but rather to walk in righteousness, to walk in the fullness of repentance, which is a complete turning from the sin and then walking in God's righteousness. But the problem with not getting to that place of knowing where the true offense came hinders restoration. And Actually, it, it, you know, you'll see this so many times, whether it's in business or relationships or uh, walks with God, anything like that at all. There's often a victim mentality as opposed to an overcomer mentality. Um, a victim mentality looks for a, a, something to blame, someone to blame. 
I don't know if you, if you have children, you see it all the time. <laughs> um, who knows, if you have a spouse, maybe you see it too, right? Uh, <laughs> but I'm not speaking from experience, okay? So, <laughs> but but the, the thing is, it's like, oh, something went wrong. Well, then I need to find something to blame because surely it's not me, right? And what happens is getting, if, if, we, if we stay in that place, then we'll fail to actually come to a place of accountability. And we'll fail to come to a place where we can actually recognize that we have, a, we have a part in the repentance and we have a need to come to that place of brokenness where we can say, now I recognize it. I, I regret it. I'm going to confess it. And now I can actually move forward in walking in wholeness. And so the enemy wants to keep us in that place of saying, you know why all this bad stuff is happening? It's because God isn't with me. Because if he can keep us there, then he can keep us walking on the same path. Right? But if we can come to the place of saying, of, of real humility and saying, okay, no, this, this hedge of protection is lifted because of something. Lord, reveal to me what it is that I need to repent of then we can actually walk in a fullness, in a true teshuva, a true repentance. And in James, um, I don't think I put that in here. In James 4, I did put it in there, thank you. Uh, James 4, verses 8 through 10. The scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right? So there's a call, and I see this as being very much like the call to repentance, of saying, if there's this separation, how do I then draw near? How do I humble myself before the Lord allow that humility to work in my heart and come about bringing this nearness where there had been separation. And so this restoration God is desiring to bring to his children. So he, again, he removes himself for, a, for but a moment, intending to gather in the children with joy. And his restoration is coming. His restoration is coming. And he's saying, will you run to it? Will you run to the restoration that I'm bringing? And as we look and talk about the restoration, there is a chapter in this portion that is, I think it's one of my favorite chapters, if you can have a favorite chapter in the Bible. But it's, it's Deuteronomy 30. And in Deuteronomy 30, we're going to read this whole thing because it is such a beautiful picture of, of God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. He says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, 
and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Here it is, he's saying, when you draw near, God will draw near to you, right? Because he's saying, God will again take delight in prospering you when you obey the Lord, when you come and turn to him with all your heart and all your soul. When you're in that place of exile, God's going to bring this about. And I think, um, I think one of the best proofs about the covenant not being canceled or changed is contained in these verses that we just read. I mean, there's many other proofs of it, but when we read here in these passages, he is speaking very specifically to the time when the children of Israel have been sent into exile, find themselves in this place of having broken covenant, being exiled from the land, and then God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to gather you in from all the four corners of the earth where I have scattered you. And I will take you back, bring you back into the land. And from there, you will again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all of his commandments that I command you today. Right? This ties very much into what we read in Ezekiel 36 verses 24 through 28. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Both Ezekiel here that we've read and what we read in Deuteronomy 30 is talking about the end times when God brings his people back, changes their hearts, and places his spirit within them so they can be careful to obey all of God's commandments. That's part of the time that we're walking in today. There is yet more of it to come. Right? But we are walking in the, new, in the new covenant where God has changed our hearts and he has placed our spirit, his spirit within us 
to give us a new nature so that we can walk in his ways, that we can draw near to him, that we can, that we can choose life, right? And walk in that life. Okay, so continuing here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Right? He has equipped us, enabled us, placing his spirit within us and his word in our heart that we can do his word. And it's not the aspect of our perfection in walking in the Torah that causes God to be faithful to us. It's because of his love and his faithfulness to the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to the generations that follow that he upholds us and strengthens us and equips us to be able to walk with him. And then he gives us the chance to repent when we, when we sin. And we have an advocate with the Father who is Yeshua, our Messiah, when we stumble and fall so that we can be placed in right relationship with him and be clothed in the righteousness of Messiah. God approaches his covenant with his people in love in love and faithfulness. And it's because of his great love that at times he has to chastise his children to bring them back into right relationship with him. But he always provides the way. He always provides the way. And it's even as we read earlier in Deuteronomy 31 where he says it is the Lord who goes before you. And he's the one who will be with you, and he will bring you into the fullness of the promise. That's exactly what we have as a promise from God and one that we can trust in. For even though we may go through trial and difficulty, he will never leave us or forsake us because he is always seeking us to bring us back to him. And he says here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So choose life, right? He places it before us. And says, I've given you all that you need for life and godliness. Choose life and godliness so that, you, that it will be good for you and you may dwell in the fullness of the promise. 
And, you know, we're, when we're talking here and God's call to, to bring us back to him and that he goes with, before us, that he goes with us, that he won't leave us or forsake us. It should bring to mind the greatness of our God. As we sang earlier today about what joy we'll find when Messiah comes and, and brings us to our God, right? When we are brought home, right? When, that, when we're singing that song about being brought home, it, it, can convey, it can have images of, oh, we're going to heaven, right? But it's really heaven's coming to us. And going home is being with our God in the flesh and the spirit. And we'll bow in awesome wonder and proclaim, and proclaim, my God, how great thou art. When he returns and brings us to him, it's not us saying how great I was in my faithfulness to you, God. It's my God, how great you are to have brought redemption to me to bring me back where I can be in your presence and say, my God, how great you are, right? Because it's he who seeks us out. And, and he gives us an illustration of this seeking us out, even in the words of exile and redemption. Now, we can't see it in English, but we can see it in Hebrew. And so we'll start out here on this slide. And I'm going to have to work on my graphics again one of these days, okay? But this first word is gola, which means exile, okay? Now, this next word is very similar, and it's geula, and it's redemption. Now, if you're not familiar with Hebrew, those two slides, you may not have caught the uh, distinction, so I'm going to show them both here together. The top word is gola. The bottom word is geula. Okay, so on the top you have exile. On the bottom you have redemption. Now there's gola has four letters. Geula has five. Four letters are the same between each. Okay, the difference between the word of exile and redemption is the addition of the letter aleph. Okay, aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bait. And it stands for the number one. And it's comprised of three strokes. Okay, you have, and if I had my pointer, I would, I would show you here, but in the top right, you have a small yod. Okay, it's like a very short stroke. And the bottom left of it, there's another short stroke. It's like an inverted yod. And then you have the bar going across from the top left to the bottom right. Okay? And that is a vav. So you have a yod, a vav, and a yod. It's comprised of three parts. And it's the meaning of the letter is a strong leader. Um, it's, often, it's often thought to represent God. In, uh, in other ways, it's, it's looking at spirit, father, and son, right? The son being the vav. Okay, but um, there's an aspect here where 
the difference between exile and redemption comes down to God. It comes into God coming into the exile and transforming it into redemption. It's the addition of that letter that brings the transformation. It's the addition of God in our lives that brings us from the place of exile to a place of redemption, right? And it's him seeking us out. And, and when you think about even what we were talking about with the song of when Messiah comes and takes us home, right? And the greatness of God to bring the restoration that's Yeshua coming again to bring restoration and redemption. But he came the first time to seek us out in the midst of exile. When there was just darkness, Yeshua came as the light. And in it, he suffered and died so that we might live. Even in that place of exile, God sought out those who didn't merit redemption and said, I will be your redemption. I'll be the one who comes and brings restoration to you. And in Isaiah 63, 1, the scripture says, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Bozrah? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And then jumping forward to verse 7, the scripture says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Bless God for his love. The willingness of Yeshua to come and to be afflicted in all that we are afflicted so that he might be a savior to us and might bring us out of exile into redemption, out of darkness, into his marvelous light, out of a place of separation from God into close relationship with him. Because it's God who is faithful to redeem his people and to uphold his covenant. And then we, out of a heart of love and recognition of that, walk in faithfulness to him. And Yeshua tells us that he is with, with us always, even to the end of the age. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. So even in times of trial and times of difficulty, whether it be national or whether it be individual, we have a God who loves us and who desires restoration and who is seeking us out. He may allow chastisements to come, but they're for our good to turn us to him. And it's because of his great love that we can trust him through the midst of that. And we can draw near and through the restoration he brings, offer sacrifices with shouts of joy singing and making music to the Lord in his tabernacle, as we read earlier in Psalm 27. So may we encourage one another as we walk along the way to draw near to the Lord, to seek him in this time when the king is in the field and as we're preparing to enter into the celebration of his holy days, which are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, 
in the fullness of restoration and the dwelling presence of our King who will reveal even greater depths of the Torah to us at the time of Sukkot, the year of, and the season of our joy. <laughs> Amen. Does anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Well, I don't know uh, about many of you last night, but I think the Lord woke me up around 4.20 in the morning just as that storm started to roll in. And he just uh, put it on my heart to walk outside. And as I walked outside, I stood on the driveway, and uh, man, that was a light show like no other I've seen in all my 66 years. It was just all over the place. Lightning bolts, flashes of, 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 of light all across the sky. And as I was standing there, I was just like, I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, don't be afraid. Hmm. All the storms that you see on the horizon, in your culture, in your civilization, you don't have to fear them. For I'm in the midst with you. And the word this morning, Chris, is just so powerful. The only difference between exile and redemption is the presence of the Aleph, the strong leader, our God, is the only presence in us. So it just messes with what we said this morning. We sang when Taylor was singing about not fearing. And it just like, felt like the, the word to us today. In spite of what the storms you see in front of this world, do not fear, for I am with you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? <clears throat> if his presence feels far away and his protection is gone, because his presence and sin are incompatible, his absence is only temporary. The purpose of absence is to remind us of gratitude, the love and zeal of our youth, and the blessing of the original covenant. Um, from 1 Corinthians 5, right? In the, in the name of the Lord Yeshua, when you are assembled with me present spiritually and the power of our Lord Yeshua among us, hand over such a person to the adversary for his old nature to be destroyed so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Talking about the, the, the stepson. Um, we, cannot take we cannot take God for granted. He will not allow himself to be taken for granted. At the same time, his loving kindness will not allow his absence to last. Once realization, which comes from absence and pain, restores that gratitude, the first love and covenant commitment, he comes running like a father lost to a like a father to a lost son. Um, when life goes south, turn sour. Ask God why. Not every time the Lord removes His hand is due to sin. Sometimes there is a lesson to learn. Sometimes there is a next level in character building. Sometimes it is an opportunity for the glory of God to shine. If the cause is sin, God himself, and not other people, will reveal the sin. Therefore, we must ask God the why. We must seek his will, and just as important, be able to wait trustingly while we walk in his way. Sometimes his answers take longer than we would like. We must trust him to be and do who he is. Amen. That's wonderful. Wonderful. And, you know, one thing you brought up, uh, that I think is very noteworthy and important. A key part is that not all difficulty is because of sin. 
not all challenges that come. And that's a very important part, even that God uses the suffering of the righteous as an atonement. And we, of course, see that in the life of Yeshua. But he, he can actually use the suffering of the righteous for the benefit of the people. And um, the, good, the, thing, the encouraging thing in the midst of that is that nothing is wasted, right? Any difficulty that we go through, it's either for the benefit of others or it's for our benefit. But God seeking to take that which is difficult and turn it into something that is good. Amen. Anyone else? In the portion, you know, we read about how God sets before us two paths, the path of life and the path of death, right? And I was just pondering this morning on how Yeshua says that those who seek to save their lives will lose it, and that those who lose their lives for his name's sake, for his sake, will find life. And that Yeshua also says that um, those who do not take up their cross and follow after him are not worthy of him. And I was also thinking about how Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so within all of this, the path of life is the way of the cross. Yeshua showed us, you know, he was our example. He showed us the way, which is the way of the cross, which is to deny ourselves, to lay down our lives, you know, for the kingdom of God. Um, and just pondering, thinking this morning about, you know, what that looks like to walk that out. Um, yeah. yeah, amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your love. We thank you, Lord, that we may not always understand, but we thank you that we can trust you. Lord, that your desire is for us, that you delight in us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us revelation to know, Lord, what we need to do to have a greater walk with you, to see restoration in our lives, Lord, in, in every dimension of our lives, Lord. Not just with you, but with others. With um, Lord, we ask for changed hearts, changed minds. We thank you for the newness of the Spirit that you give us. We ask that you would move within us. Come and have your way, Lord. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.